child. All right, we're going to jump right into the Word. How many are ready for a message from the Lord? All right. Um, last week, we talked about the fact, Haggai chapter 2 says, your ladder shall be greater than your former. What's coming is better than what you have or have had. You're going somewhere that's better than where you are right now. How many of you claim that? That's going to be the story of your life. We can claim it because we say no to the mindset that God has good days and bad days. And too many Christians live their life like God gets deluded over time and one generation serves him and their kids kind of wander and their kids even further. And we just believe around here that that's not God's plan. God's plan is that our kids would stand on our shoulders, their kids will stand on their shoulders, that the greatest day of Restoration Church we are not experiencing right now, they are to come. And we have to, in this fourth quarter church, this high-octane environment, believe what's coming is better than what we have. Can I get a witness? So God is appreciating. You are not, in your faith, depreciating. Certainly God isn't. And so you are appreciating. God has taken you somewhere. We are transformed from glory to glory. And that's not glory to glory to glory to glory. It's from glory to glory to glory to glory. Where we're going, 2 Corinthians, we said last week, there's, we're being transformed by an ever-increasing glory. So things are appreciating. And for God to get you to that place where he wants you, where you're destined to be, for you to appreciate, you got to say yes to God and the way he progresses in your life, initiating. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the God who initiates. Somebody say initiate. So I'm going to give you the beginning part of the sermon that I preached Saturday night at the men's weekend. And and you, you, you may wonder, what do y'all talk about when y'all... Well, this, you're going to get a little sampling of what we talk about. And um, we're going to talk about how God takes a member of the male species and starts with a boy and makes him a king and then a sage. And that process, and you may say, well, I'm a woman. That doesn't help me. No, it'll, it'll help you understand how God is working in the men in your life, whether you're married or not, maybe the boyfriend, or you know, maybe you look around and it's going to help you pick out a king and not get some dud. How many receive that? Amen. And, and it's happening in this church. I mean, young queens are meeting young kings in this church and getting married on the regular. It's pretty awesome. Here beats Buckhead. Amen. It beats Athens too. Amen. And so we, we talked at the men's retreat about a couple verses which are the standard of what we believe God's raising up at our church. And let me just say, this is a special era among our men too. Do you know Thursday there was over 100 men back there at 6 a.m.? In my mind, it was our best meeting we've ever had on Thursday mornings. Friday morning, there was over 100 men, I think, in the gym and many of them were the same men. Yesterday, we had over 150 in the gym. And it was our best real men Saturday morning breakfast ever. How many of it were there would agree to it? And many of them were the same men. It was their third morning in a row. 
How many of you are here and you've been here the last three mornings? This is your fourth morning in a row. You, the hat trick. You won it yesterday. Raise your hand. How many of you? They all came to the first service. See, they're an early morning crowd. But it's, it's dozens, literally, who have been here four days in a row. God's doing something special in our men. And I just begin this sermon by just reminding you, y'all know this, but if you're new, we believe we're in the fourth quarter. This isn't a church going through the motions. We're not hyped up on us. It's not false enthusiasm. The Spirit of God is moving in our midst, and we are grateful for it. We believe the songs we sing, He's the same God. He was a healer then, He's a healer now. He was a Savior then, He's a Savior now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe if we're experiencing anything less than what this says we can experience, we're doing something wrong. God isn't getting deluded or weaker. Come on, somebody. And so we approach His, his Word this morning, and we're, we, we are people that swing for the fence. Paul said, if you're going to run the race, run in such a way to win. There's nothing wrong with being passionate. Nothing wrong with swinging for the fence. Nothing wrong to win, to run, to get the blue ribbon and not be satisfied with the red ribbon. Is anybody out there like me? And that's a, that's a spiritual principle. It's not a fleshly thing. But you know, I come to just, God, kill that cancer of low-level expectation. Kill that religious spirit that just lets us go through the motions. We want to see people get healed on the regular. We want to see atheists fill up these people groups in Jesus' name. Amen? So we're, we're asking God to, to build men who will stand in the gap. Ezekiel chapter 22, the prophet says, speaking on for God, he says, so I sought for a man. Everybody say, a man. Just one. God was looking for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap. Say those four, those four words. Stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. I didn't... I was looking for one made up of the stuff so he could stand in the gap. I couldn't find one. God says I would have saved the nation if I could have found one man. And in Iron Man ministry, we talk about real men being raised up who will stand in the gap. And on that Saturday night, I shared with him the story of Benaiah, one of King David's mighty men. And it says about him, Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada. The son, look at that, the son of a valiant man. The apple fell right under the, a valiant man raised up, one that was even more valiant than him. A man from Kabzil who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Benaiah had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. That's like the wart on the frog on the knot on the log at the bottom of the sea. It says, he went down. Nobody wants to go down. You go down to Egypt. You know, you go down to bad stuff. Disadvantage. Into a pit. He and a lion were locked in. And it was a snowy day. He couldn't get any traction. He didn't have claws. But he took out that lion. How many of you would just pray with me? God's raising up five or 600 Benias in this house who will go down in a pit on a snowy day and kill a lion. Come on, anybody crazy faith kind of guys. 
curve busters. We raise the mean, the standard, the average of what a Christian man ought to look like. So that's what we're going after. Our ladder will be greater than our form. This is men who will stand in the gap. Men who will go down in a pit on a snowy day and kill a lion. So how does God make men like that? He initiates them by experience. Not seminars, head knowledge, reading books. He takes, all that's good, but he takes them through something, gives them an experience to initiate them. Tim Hansel in his book, Holy Sweat, 30 years ago said, God created everything in the world except a substitute for experience. God initiate men and women, he takes us through some things to initiate us. And one of the greatest pictures, and you see this all through Scripture, Abraham, Noah, Moses, David, Jonah, Jesus. You see it all through. God initiates a man to make them something, to fulfill his destiny on them. King David, we see it. He's a young boy at this time serving under the kingship of Saul. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 17. But David said to Saul, the young boy said to the king, your servant, he's speaking third person, he's talking about himself, has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, he will be just like one of them. David's got some swag on it. That guy's got moxie. And it's, it's more than smack talk. He says, your servant, king, was out keeping my dad's sheep. A lion came and got one of them, just one. And I went after him. And I took the sheep from his jaws. That's all, David, you can read it. He was like, that's all I wanted to do. I wasn't looking to pick a fight with the lion. But when he turned on me, I took him out. I didn't just go get the sheep, but when he turned on me, Mufasa say, Akuna Matata. <laughs> and then a bear. Just see, here, Try to go there. What kind of young shepherd? We think the shepherds are like precious moments, like the angels, they come to the manger. Shepherds were rugged dudes. They were the rugby players of, of today. They, they had calluses. They worked a midnight hour, long hours for minimum wage. What kind of young shepherd has 80 or 90 sheep and a lion comes and gets one of them? And he leaves all them to go get. And then he takes a lion out. Killing lions, protecting the sheep, these little innocent, vulnerable animals from bears, that's not in the job description unless you're passionate, unless you value your assignment. What kind of shepherd does that? The kind of shepherd God is making into a king. That's who. 
David was getting initiated and he was fully there and he was trying to tell Saul, all of Israel is scared of this giant and his four brothers, but I've taken out lions and bears. What kind of young shepherd does that? The kind of shepherd God is raising up to stand in the gap when all of his older brothers are scared to death. And all of Israel sitting back, letting the Philistine smack talk. And David says, I've taken down bigger animals than him. He will go down just like one of them went down. God was initiating David. Initiation is when you go through something you haven't made it through before. To be what you haven't become yet in order to do something you are destined to do. And I want you to notice that first part. It says, you, are, you go through something you haven't made it through before. It doesn't mean you've never been through it. A lot of us have to get initiated, I didn't work, initiated, and we get stuck on a cycle or a grade. But when you are initiated, you go through something you haven't made it through before to be what you haven't become yet in order to become part of something you're destined to do. Some of you are... In fact, probably most of us are at some level of being initiated right now. There's some things happening in our life. Have you ever been initiated into a club? 1985, I was a freshman at Lee College, and I got tapped in January that year to be a part of a Christian fraternity, Upsilon XE. And it was two and a half weeks of induction. I have to manage my class load. I've got a job. Early morning workouts. I got to memorize all this club history. I got to honor and respect all these upperclassmen and and it was a load and it was cold it was the middle of the winter and I just remember reasoning I don't think anybody's and that was back when hazing wasn't only tolerated it was celebrated anybody grew up in that America come on quit acting all politically correct that's what made us tough yeah it killed some people but it didn't kill us we're here the survivors it's the truth isn't it we've been initiated we grew up in a tough America. Only the strong survive. And I remember we got to the end, and, and then you go away on this retreat. They blindfold you, put in your car, and I won't even tell you all the stuff they did. And, and I remember on Saturday night, after being there two days, up all night, and I was a low man. Twelve guys tapped, and me and Michael Harvard, my, we were co-low men. And you're like... They see leadership in you, so they take you all the way down, and you do double the work everybody else does. And I remember being out, and they broke that ice on Signal Mountain just outside of Chattanooga, January, and they said, do the gator crawl. And you're like, we got all night to keep, and you want me to get in this water? And they say, yeah, we want you to do it. We want you to sound like a gator, and we want you to sound like a real live angry gator. And you get down, and you're like, all right, I was two and a half weeks, and you get in that water, and you're going, and you're doing that. And then they break the ice further, and they say, Mr. Ramsey, we want you to go all the way across the pond. And you can't at that moment back up. And, you, and they say, are you ready to do it? Are you willing to do it? And I say, yes, sir, Mr. Stone, sir. And he's, you get ready to dive out into that water, and my older tap brother grabbed me, and the president, Tim Stone, goes, Welcome to Upsilon XE, Mr. Ramsey. And I'll never forget that moment. They celebrated like year 62 yesterday, their anniversary. 
Have you ever been initiated? You go through something that takes you to the edge of yourself. You're not sure if you can make, but you, you can and you do. The sense of accomplishment, of brotherhood, that I'm now in a club of men who've been through that. It's special. And you know what? In this room, there are a bunch of us who have been and continue to be initiated. And we're going somewhere. We are appreciating because we haven't let God stop initiating us. Anybody out there listening to what I'm saying this morning? And so you women are going to identify with this, but I promise you, if we can help men, as they, when God takes a member of the male species, a little boy, and makes him a king, and then a sage, how does that happen? John Eldridge, in his book, Fathered by God, John is known for his book, um, Wild at Heart, but Fathered by God is a good read for every man and woman, especially if you're raising young boys. He says that there are six stages for a male. The first is to become a beloved son ages zero to 12 years old. And everybody listen, this is the most critical of all the stages that a little boy's got to bond with his mother. Candace would stay in the hospitals when she gave birth as long as the insurance would let us. And she would lovingly invite me, especially as we had more kids. Honey, you stay and take care of the kids. And she would bond. She, she cherished, she knew those two days that little boy or girl, feeling her skin, hearing her voice. Something special happens in that. And as a little baby boy gets a little older, he's got to feel his daddy's whiskers at the end of the day. Got to wrestle in the floor. And a little boy, to become a, a beloved son, has to experience undeserved, unconditional love. He didn't do anything to to earn it, but he, he knows he has it. And this is where most men struggle. And I want to jump ahead. Listen, if you don't get that in those first 12 years, you will, your next stage won't happen until God reveals himself to you as a loving father who loves you with an unconditional, undeserved love. And hear me, and that usually only happens at a season of brokenness. When you are at the end, you've failed or something horrible's happened and your heart is open like a little boy to receive his love. God wants us to have beloved sons. He wants us to be, and he wants women to be beloved daughters. The second phase is, the cowboy phase, 12 to 19 years old. And John Elder says that a young man has to, in that phase, begin to experience adventure and risk. And a dad needs to help his son do some things that if his wife and the son's mommy knew, she wouldn't want y'all to do it, you know? You, even some illegal things, like, my dad let me drive before I got my driver's license. I'm not saying you should do it, but the way my dad let me do it, 
it, it meant something to me, you know? How many of you, you, you men, you know, you gotta build a bicycle ramp and you gotta lay down about eight of your friends sideways <laughs> and prove that you not only know how to build a ramp, but you can jump over eight of your best friends. Any men know what I'm talking about? And even if you don't make it, you're probably not gonna die and he'll probably just have a broken leg or two and he can heal from that, right? American education, so much of, it's, it's like, what was that movie Chris Rock was in the, in New York City, the zoo? Madagascar. The whole world's trying to tame and domesticate boys. And you gotta jump out of, off, you gotta jump off the high dive and try and do a double somersault flip backward. You know, you've got, and if you don't do it, you'll go to bed at night going, I should have tried it. I just, how many of you men know? Adventure and risk. And you went from being a boy to a cowboy. Anybody out there? We got anybody, any cowboys up in here? The third phase is warrior where a man has to learn to fight for the right things. Not just fight, those are gangs. And if you are a beloved son, cowboy, you're a warrior, you, you gotta learn how to fight for the right things and do it fairly. Because, and you do, you're a warrior first before you're a lover because men who get married know they've had to learn to fight for the right things and do it in a fair way, to fight for their wife and her well-being, their marriage, their children. And that will be the hardest fight a man will ever have to fight, is for the love of his wife, her heart. And you go through that warrior phase, and then you come to the lover phase. And it's not so much about romance, but it's about finding something you love that's worth dying for. Even Martin Luther King Jr. said, until you find something you're willing to die for, you're not living yet. And most men, oh, I feel this in me. Most men, we don't have anything that, except for ourselves. And dying for myself, that doesn't help. I'm dead. But is there anything like, I feel it. Like, will you, your faith, will you lay your life down for it? Is there a noble cause that you go, I'm all in for it? And it's in that phase, when you discover that, you're a warrior now, beloved son, adventure, risk, loving your wife is now something that's natural for you. Because you found some things that you love and you're willing to die for. And that makes you a man able, makes you admirable in her eyes too. And then the, last, the fifth stage for a man is, and God is initiating us all the way through this. Then he makes you a king. And a king is, listen, a man who, under, who has power and influence. And he knows how to use it because he knows where it came from. And a king is late 40s and the 50s, and it's when a man, ha he gets to be the sales manager or the VP or the CEO or the CIO 
or he, he gets a point of destiny, a place where he's in charge. Maybe he's the pastor of the church, or now he has not only children, but grandchildren. He has a kingdom that God has raised him up as the king. And he has a wife who is a queen. And as he is effective in his role, she is fulfilled in hers. And I, I got to move on. There's so much good stuff. This is the template for the men's ministry at Restoration Church. And then God raises up a, he, he makes a man a sage somewhere in his 60s usually. And most sages bear more fruit after 60 than all the other 60 years combined. Because they're pouring into kings and lovers and warriors. And they're sages. They've, they have wisdom because of what they've been through. They're failures mostly. And we have some sages in this church, a bunch of them. We have some kings. We have, some, we have plenty of them in all these phases. God wants to make you a king. All of the imagery and all of the words throughout Scripture, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are to reign in life. He is the king of kings, not peasants. Pastor Travis all said, remember that? He is a king of kings. And you, lady, you, he want, his destiny, your ladder will be great in your form. You're to, you're to have a, 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 a position of royalty too. Whew. And this isn't bombastic, prideful, selfish, materialistic Christianity. God wants us to reign in life. To arrive at our ladder, we got to be initiated through the stuff I've just talked about. Are y'all out there? Now, this is the journey of the kingdom. Initiation by experience, not seminars or memorizing scriptures. Romans 5, Paul says, For if by one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned. There's another. Death had the throne. It reigned through that one man, Adam. But how much more, now that Jesus has come, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, now they reign in life. Everybody say God has called me to reign in life. Say that. God has called me to reign in life. And there's another noble royal term, regal term, to reign in life, as I've taught through the years, is not to be free from any battles or stress on a cruise in the Mediterranean. To reign in life is to be able to do what you are supposed to do when you are supposed to do it, the way you are supposed to do it. That's the fruit of the Christian life. Wouldn't it be beautiful if people, Christians, didn't get emotional and spin out of control and let their emotions get in the driver's seat and then say whatever they want, go, I know what the Bible says I should do. I know what the Bible calls me to do, but, and they let their, they're not reigning in life. God wants us to be people who reign in life, have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control and for you to for your ladder to be greater than your former you're going to need to learn how to do what you're supposed to do the way you're supposed to do it when you're supposed to do it how many of you want to reign in life it's it's your time to reign in life listen i i 
I'm not asking for a test. I'm, I'm preaching faith into you. I'm, I'm let, hoping the word of God will give you a picture of what your latter day, you're not gonna just sit here and go, oh great, my latter's gonna be greater than my former. No, God's taking you somewhere. He's gotta make you something great that you're not yet, so he's gotta take you through some stuff like he did Abraham. Abraham, now that you have Isaac, go kill him. Wait, what, the Bible says God tested Abraham. God knew Abraham was gonna give Isaac back, but Abraham didn't know Isaac, he didn't know he was gonna give Isaac back. And as hard as it was when he gave Isaac back to the Lord, God said, now you're ready to be the father of my people. Are y'all out there this morning? So I'm, we're calling ourselves higher according to the word. And we see this template of initiation all through scripture. Let me give you a couple passages real quick. Um, Romans 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Wait, what? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. If I get character, I know I'll never do anything to embarrass my family, this church, or the kingdom of God. He's going to develop in me a character that will secure his image in the position he's given me. Do you hear what I just said? James 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. How many of y'all hate this verse? Like, if you could take two verses out of the Bible, these would be the two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, or you should, that the testing of your faith does what? Initiating produces perseverance, perseverance finishes the work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't have time to unpack that. Can you imagine a room full of Christians who are complete and mature and they lack nothing, the Bible says? That's the latter being greater than the former. Ephesians 4, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature. Then will we no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. God's whole plan in the church is that we would be built up, have a unity, Psalm 133, Acts chapter two. And when, when people are spiritually unified, Heaven is released in the earth where people are spiritually unified. We, how do we know Satan's working? When people are being divided. How do we know the Holy Spirit's working? When people are being united. Are y'all out there? And so it takes, it takes some initiation to help me move beyond immature ways, selfish ways. One more passage. 2 Peter chapter 1. Y'all getting anything this morning? I'm, bl I'm blessing myself this morning. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Just park right there. Somebody say, shut up. Are you kidding me? Do you read what the Bible says sometimes? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And this is a passage. So that through them, hold on, you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's a big weight. What? 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This is too beautiful. I mean, I can't unpack it this morning, but Holy Spirit, help us absorb the richness of your word. Look here, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Y'all, we're getting some pro tips from the scripture today. This is the secret sauce right here. Am I right? So we just, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it pure joy. God's taking you to a place where you're going to have to go through some stuff, but you're going to be complete, not lacking anything. He gave you the church so that you could be part of the body of Christ that's built up and you become mature and you're not going to be like blown here and there by all the news and Fauci and all that junk. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Just here, we are partakers of the divine nature. I can't put words in to elaborate on that. That's something that you're going to need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The blood of Jesus is running through your veins. God views you the same way he does Jesus. All right. Are y'all, everybody good? Everybody, now can you wake up from that nap and let me finish this sermon? Y'all good out there? All right. So, and you need to listen closely. The initiation process, it's good to preach and say amen to, but when you get in the throes of it and you say something that Candace heard the wrong way because you thought you said it the right way, but you didn't, and she reacts, oh, thank God for self-control in me and her too. Because it can go from there to just a crappy Sunday or a whole weekend or two weeks of the silent treatment and the children have to live through mom and dad are in another funk. Oh, the joy of the fruit of the Spirit getting initiated. You know, I've told the men, you women need to hear this. Women, you can't challenge their manhood. If they're a man, you can't. Even when you do, they're kings. They know how to rescue your heart. But let me tell you, man, getting to that place, it will kill you and get rid of that selfish little teenage, young, wannabe poser. And when you feel his spirit rising up in you, loving your wife like he loves the church, and you go, you know this ain't you. Just say thank you. You know, just say you're welcome. Don't just let the Lord love her through you. Self-control. The initiation process. The reason it's so wrapped attention here right now is the Holy Spirit's touching on a nerve. Many of you are right now in the throes of a 
Serious initiation. And we go, is it going to be on the test? You know, we always want to know, is it on the test? This sermon, now it's going to be on the test for you because you've heard it. You have to be responsible for the seed that's dropping in your heart. Y'all out there? But God by His Spirit is going to help you pass the test. His Spirit's raising up. Now, so four quick things, real quick. How do you um, pass a test? Four things to know. Number one, you need to be teachable. Everybody say teachable. You need to be humble. You need to be a quick learner. Just turn and tell somebody, he's talking to me right now. I got I to learn more quickly. Now, I just said that so you could have a little emotional break because I know your palms are sweaty right now. But in all seriousness, um, the questions we ask is, God, why is this happening? And, and boys who never became beloved sons always feel rejected, abandoned. And then they get mad at God. And you need to ask, why is what I'm going through happening? And it's one of three or four things. Sometimes it's, it's an attack from the enemy. Sometimes, hear me, it's you sowed bad seed. You've done some stuff you shouldn't have done. Sometimes it's strongholds in your life. Generational bondage, stuff attached to you. And sometimes it's just God going, I'm, I'm allowing this because I'm trying to initiate you. But here's the beauty of God. Whether it's from Him or not, He can use the other three things just like it was from Him if you'll be humble and teachable. Are y'all out there? Why is it happening? Well, everybody, we want to know that. Well, I just told you. The second thing we all want to know is how long is it going to last? When is graduation coming? Am I right out there, y'all? And, and it's, if you knew how long the test was, you would have a greater chance of passing it. How long is it? You know, when I go on runs, I'd, I went on a six-mile run yesterday. And long-distance running is mental. And you have to pace yourself. And I know on my runs, I know exactly where every half-mile marker is and every mile marker. And like yesterday, I started out, and I get to that first half, and your heart rate goes from zero to 170, back to 152-ish. And then you settle in, and you go, I'm a half mile. And your brain goes, awesome, we're one-twelfth of the way through this run today. And then you go four more minutes-ish, and you go, oh, one mile, there it is. We're one-six, and your brain goes, we're twice as far as we were last time you thought about this. Then you get to two miles, and you went from one-twelfth to one-sixth, and now you're one-third of the way, and you're like, look at me, Jesus. And then you get halfway, and you go, I'm, I went from one out of twelve to one out of six to one out of three to one out of two. Now it's downhill. And just knowing that, if distance runners know this, I can pick up my pace. I've settled in. I'm comfort. Com my lungs have opened up. And I can, I can race home knowing. But we don't know that in initiations. Spiritual initiations. How long do they last? As long as your pride does. If you could get in it and go, I humble myself right now. You could turn those two-month initiations or two years into 
two hours or two minutes if you could humble yourself. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The number one requirement for usability in the kingdom of God is humility, not talent or skill. This is why in Exodus Chronicles, all through the Psalms, God says to the people of Israel, don't be like your fathers. They were stiff-necked, stubborn. He called them oxes. They can't be led. The big thing you need to know is be humble, be teachable. Could you just right now just hold out your hand, just say, Lord, I receive the spirit of humility right now. Help me be a quick learner, teachable, not obstinate, not like a hard-headed, stiff-necked ox. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know the prayer of humility is one of the fastest one God answers? If you pray, Lord, humble me, it'll happen before you get out of the parking lot. Amen? How many of you pray, God help me? I welcome humility in the name of Jesus. Number two, understand the law of preparation. I'm, I'm only going to, I'm just going to make these remarks and let us go. Joseph, he had a dream and he went through hell. 13 years in the prison to get to the palace. You never become anything in the palace that you didn't become in the prison. The prison lasts longer than you thought it would. It hurt more than you thought you could handle. And it's unfair. But Joseph had a dream. If we could, I sense the Holy Spirit anointing. If everybody in here right now could just have a, a movie about your current situation, what God's doing, and how he's rooting, he's got it all set up. You're the star in this show. He's taking you somewhere. And if you knew where he is taking you, you wouldn't mount up and go, I got this. Understand the law of preparation. Everything in life, every season in life is about God preparing you for the next season. I'm getting ready to get really real. I didn't share this in the first service. Saturday night, the men's real men weekend, the Holy Spirit just fell. It was glorious. Jeff Rines, one of our elders, came over and he just stopped me in the prayer line. It was like, time out. He said, Pastor Chuck, if we hadn't gone through the spiritual circumcision we went through earlier this year, this wouldn't be happening. And it resonated in me. And I said, I can't control everybody and everything and what people think and what people say, but I can control me. And I said, Lord, whatever you are doing in me, do it, Lord. I don't want me to be the roadblock of what you want to do in this church. He, it never stops, but it's worth it. What is he preparing you for right now that you're going, my stupid boss doesn't recognize. I don't know why my ex, I wish I had never Stop. He will restore the years of locusts is eaten. Your latter will be greater than your former. Humble yourself and understand he's tenderizing your heart because he's taking you somewhere unbelievable. Can somebody just say hallelujah and receive it? Now, 
Two last things, and we're ahead of schedule. God shakes. You know, i got to back up to that last thing. One of the worst things that could ever happen to you is you get an opportunity that you're not prepared to handle. The ache of the world right now is we have boys with kingdoms. Government, political, financial. And that's why they got the power and the influence and they also got a trophy wife, half their age. Because there's still a little boy trying to feel like a beloved son. One of the worst things, why is it to mess up an opportunity? God will, you get a great opportunity, a platform, but you don't have the character to manage it. And you mess it up. God will forgive you, but man, you will have a hard time forgiving yourself. And the damage normally done around you, you don't want any opportunity that you're not ready to have. What you want is to get ready for the next opportunity God has for you. Amen? Thirdly, God shakes things in a strategic and timely manner. We read it, Haggai 2. Hebrews 12, and there's a whole lot of shaking going on in the world right now. Everybody look at me right here in my eyes, everybody. I have five minutes to preach there, but I can't say, all I can say is this. Throughout history, biblical history and human history, when God shakes the whole earth, it's usually right before he does something very profound and significant. Three years ago, and the tremors are still happening. The earth has been shook. God is about to do something because he's initiating mankind. The contractions are happening. A baby's about to come forth and be initiated. Jesus is getting ready to come back. There's an initiation. Don't ignore it. Don't fight against it. Just say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because that latter will be better than the former. Come on, somebody. Amen. And then lastly, I just want to say, this, this fourth point, you're going to say, wait, what? It doesn't fit with this sermon. God just told me to put it in here. And this is how I'm going to close it. Um, get greedy spiritually speaking believe god for the whole enchilada the whole like and only way i know how to illustrate this is like don't be bashful or modest or shy about god's promises over your life joseph's brothers thought who in the world are you what kind of dream is that favor on your life won't be fair and some people will resent you for it but it's your lot. It's your inheritance. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm not saying be provocative, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. You know, I'm not talking about that. But I'm quit with the false humility and, and act like your faith matters, that you're salt in the earth. You are light in the darkness. Get greedy. Like, spiritually speaking, um, you know how when there's five of you at dinner and you order an appetizer and it's six shrimp wontons or whatever, 
And everybody gets one. And there's that one sitting out there. And you're just sitting there, just getting cold. And you and two or three others are going, is anybody going to eat that thing? Don't wait till the meal gets here and then the waiter goes, y'all want this? And you humbly go, I'll take it. If nobody gets it, reach out there and grab that thing. And tell them, you didn't come to impress them and play games and act like you're on some diet or something. <laughs> that everybody else, bless their hearts, they only got one shrimp one time, but God gave you two because you got greedy and humble enough. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Lord, this is crazy talk. But it's true. I, I know so many Christians that are just so frozen chosen. You know, get over it. Act like a child. Act like an eight-year-old on Christmas morning or act like a drunk person in the shower. Sing, act like, act like all you have is God consciousness. You don't care what people think about it. I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm not, like my, my father-in-law, Hal Dixon, sophisticated man. He's passed on at 93 years old. Educated, raised literally on the railroad track. My dad was a great man, but I've said, even at his funeral, I think Hal Dixon, my father-in-law, is the godliest man I've ever known. And had his name on 48 buildings in Bradley County. He was either the county chairman or the chairman of the building committee that built that building, or he gave significantly as a contributor, and they named it after him. 48 buildings. He was on the pastor's council at the mother church of our denomination for many years. In every service we were in, if the altar call was made, Papa Dixon was one of the first two or three in the altar. And we would talk about it and go, Papa, you know, what are you, what's wrong? And people that knew him, and Papa, we asked him, like, you go every service. And he's like, well, I listen, and the Holy Spirit says, there's more I can have. So I'm going down to get it. And I just, so, and you're like, but you're the, you're the chairman of the pastor's council. And he's like, yeah, and there's more. I wish you knew him. A humble, godly praying man who didn't care what everybody thought. If he and two teenagers were the only people on the altar, he was going down to get what God had. He was grabbing that last appetizer and proud about it. Could you have a mindset change to go, God is initiating me. He hasn't abandoned me. I'm not rejected. I'm a beloved son or daughter. Okay, I'm going to pass this to How long is it going to last? As long as my pride, I kill my pride in Jesus' name. And Pastor Chuck said, I need to get greedy and grab the whole enchilada, swing for the fence, believe like Daryl Honeycutt, I'm one of God's favorites. Can you get that this morning? Come on, let's stand as we come to the Lord's table. I just, I want to pray over you. I feel faith rising up in this place. There were sweet testimonies in the first service. And brother, don't you leave here. And let that word, don't you let that word get on the sidewalk and not down in the good soil of your heart. You pull, you, you pull out this parking lot, you, get, you nurture that thing. 
God's wanting to raise. If you could just believe you're right on the edge of a promotion in the spirit. How many of you, don't raise your hand if you don't mean it. How many of you go, I, I'm going to receive. I am just on the edge of, I'm going to the next level. Whatever it is, however God wants to use me, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I lay down my pride. Come on, men. I lay down my pride, my ego, my greedy, selfish ambition. I lay it all down, Lord. Teach me. Humble me. In Jesus' name, may you be exalted. Initiate me. Now, men and women all over this room, before we come to the Lord's table, I want you to just receive your crown. You're a king. You're a queen. And you queens rule. And you reign depending on how faithful your king is. How initiated your king is. Pray for him. I just, I got a goofy picture. Everybody here needs to just take a crown and just put it on your head, just like that. I turn and tell somebody, now do you see what God's doing in me? Turn and tell somebody. Turn and tell two or three people. Don't be silly. You're a royal priesthood. You're going to reign in life. Thank you, Jesus. I sense there's, there's a bunch of young adults. There's some young men here. You needed this message. You're moving from cowboy to warrior to lover. Quit fighting the fights you shouldn't be fighting. Quit fighting unfairly. Fight for the right things the right way. God's taking you somewhere. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We love your word. I love these people. Their hunger for your word. Brothers and sisters, you know how when you're hungry, food tastes better. And there's a lot of hunger in this place. And I just bless you for your hunger. Simple sermons taste great when you're spiritually hungry. Be blessed in the name of Jesus. Now we come to the Lord's table and we take the wafer. Lord, we just honor you and thank you. The night before you were betrayed at the Last Supper, you knowing what was to come, that Judas would betray you, that Peter would deny you, you sat at that table and you said, this is my body which is broken for you as often as you eat it. Do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. Receive his healing over every disease and sickness, heartbreak, mental challenges. We just thank you, Lord, that we are healed. We are filled. We are whole. Sozo salvation, saved to the bone, in our right mind, seated and clothed in your righteousness. After the meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink, realizing we are set free from the law of sin and death as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our sins from us.
Though our sins be like scarlet, he will make us as pure as the new fallen driven snow, cleansed and redeemed, spotless before him. Hallelujah. Your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise to King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven, your blood is still speaking, your love is still reaching, all praise King Jesus, glory to God. If you need prayer, I want to ask elders, members of the prayer team, those that anybody does, they're going to come forward as we dismiss. If anybody would like prayer, we're here for you. But as you go today, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, may he lift his countenance up on you and give you a real and lasting peace in Jesus' name. Come on, shout it out. I receive it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Turn to two people and tell them, God bless you, your royal highness, in Jesus' name.